From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the first installment of Nerdette's special series, Undercover. It's an investigation into the different ways a book can come to life. First up, we are going to examine a seemingly small but extremely important and kind of controversial element of the tome you hold in your hands. Next week, we're going to hear about what it takes to get a print book into your earbuds. And the week after that, we are going to learn all about all of the different people involved in getting that story onto the big or little screen. We're going to answer questions like, why are so many people upset about blurbs? For me, it is quite stressful. Do authors actually make any money off film adaptations of their books? Think of it as like a cool thing that could happen, but probably won't. (laughs) And what do a narrator's vocal warm-ups sound like? Today, we are talking all about how we judge a book, which, of course, is by its cover. I am unabashedly shallow about this. Yeah, it's like a personal, it's a personal thing, I think. Those are a group of avid readers that we talked to at Volumes Book Cafe here in Chicago. I don't usually like to rely on the cover because of that old, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. Although, you know, it's kind of hard not to do that. I didn't think I cared about covers until I realized that I browse and that's what, like, that, that's what draws me to something anyway. If I trust the author, it doesn't matter what the book is about, I'll pick it up. I think the only way for me to know what I'm getting ready to get into is the blurb. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, I have to read the blurbs. So today we are going to zoom way in, past the title, past the cover art, to the simple quotation you might see on the top of a book. We are talking about blurbs. You'll usually see one above the title and maybe a couple more on the back. It might just be a word or a phrase. It's always high praise and it's often from an author you know. Sensatious and terrifying, taut and lush. Something epic, something romantic. Something that could change past and the future. And like, if that doesn't sell you, I don't know what does, you know? It might even be a whole sentence. A sensitive and imaginative work by a writer who deserves every reader. Reading this book felt like a warm cup of tea made by someone who loves me. Dan Smetanka is the editorial director of the Catapult Book Group, an independent publisher. He says a good blurb is almost as important as a good cover. The perfect book cover says, don't keep walking. Stop, stop. Look at me. Look at me. There are so many books out there these days. So publishers are doing everything they possibly can to get a reader's attention. And the blurb is absolutely part of that equation. Danya Kukovka is the author of the novel Notes on an Execution. She's also a book agent herself. Blurbs have multiple uses, I think. One is to sort of stamp the book with other authors' approval. Um, So if you pick up a book and you see that three other authors you like have enjoyed this book and given a quote for it, you're more likely to buy it. As an executive editor at Penguin Press, Ginny Smithians is thinking about blurbs for a book way before it's even published. They're one of the great levers that we can um, that we can pull as publishers to bring different layers of readers to a book. You know, first we're speaking to to our sales rep community, and then to our wonderful bookseller community, and then directly to readers. They're a selling point, not only for potential readers, but also for booksellers. And the way that publishers find people to write blurbs begins with the book's author. It's very much about, um, you know, being in conversation with the community around the author. Um, 
if it's, you know, talking with their agent, talking with the author, thinking about who's in their writing group. Did they did they come out of a program? Are there folks whose work that they love that we want to reach out to? You know, we, we try to think creatively about um, people who might know their work or who might um, be intrigued by their work. At first glance, a blurb is an endorsement from another author, but it turns out the whole thing revolves around who knows who. In other words, it's a system of favors. It is a major favor economy, and for me it is quite stressful. This is certainly a business of of tastes and relationships. It's a weird old system that I think everyone agrees needs to be retired. It's like kind of a shitty system. It's just a tiny bit of text, but the whole thing is super fraught. Take Danya, for example. Notes on an execution has a blurb from Britt Bennett, a very well-respected author who wrote The Vanishing Half. Uh, like, she is a friend of mine. I worked on her first book, The Mothers, when I was an assistant editor at Riverhead. Even if you're new to the industry, it's still about who you know. I didn't really know much about publishing a book when I sold The Nest. And I was like, well, I mean, I know Amy Poehler. Should I ask her? And I could like hear people fainting on the other end of the phone. That's Cynthia Dupree Sweeney. Her first book, The Nest, had a blurb from Amy Poehler, who she's friends with through her husband, Mike, who used to work for Conan O'Brien. I didn't know a lot of writers, so I felt like that was the one thing I could offer uh, that might help The Nest was to have Amy's endorsement on the cover. We can't quantify exactly how Amy's endorsement helped, but The Nest was a super successful debut novel. The book hit bestseller lists, it was optioned, and Cynthia got a second book deal. Partly because of all that success, a lot of new authors are now turning to her for blurbs. My blurb has to be worth like three cents right now. Like I've just devalued it by spreading it too freely. But I don't blurb as much as I used to. I've sort of had to put the brakes on. When she's asked to blurb a book, she thinks about who is asking her to do it. Is it an editor or an agent whose taste she trusts? Does the book sound interesting? How much spare time does she even have? If she's able to commit, she agrees to blurb before actually reading the book. Sometimes I don't like it as much as I wish I liked it, but that's okay. It doesn't have to be perfect. When Cynthia agrees to blurb a book, she can't just read it like she'd read a book for fun. The hard thing about reading for blurbing is there's always this little calculus going on in your head the entire time you're reading the book where you're thinking about what you're going to write about the book. Like, what can you say? It doesn't sound like every other blurb. That's always a challenge. Sometimes I feel like blurb writing is like playing a game of Mad Libs. Joyful, radiant. I've definitely overused luminous. And after all this work goes into requesting the most high-profile blurbers and picking the most ravishing, luminous, iridescent adjectives, do readers even care about the blurbs? Like, can a blurb actually make or break a book? Oh, God, I hope not, Greta. Don't say that. Here's Dan again, the editor at Catapult. It's, It's hard because you will hear from some people who say, oh, I never read blurbs. It doesn't matter. Um, And then there are others who will pick up a book because of that front cover quote or because... Salman Rushdie or Celeste Ng or Alexander Chi or any of our wonderful writers working today um, have endorsed it. It's hard to quantify what makes a person pick up a book. I imagine it's probably a host of all of these factors and more. After the break, we'll talk about another shortfall of the blurb economy. (laughs) 
the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Uh, the road to blurb hell is paved with those good intentions. As we've covered, this whole system is about who knows who, whether or not you're in the publishing industry, which means it can be really hard for first-time authors. It can be especially difficult for authors from marginalized backgrounds who are trying to gain their footing in an industry that's overwhelmingly white. This is something Tracy Thomas thinks about a lot. Oh, blurbs. I have so much to say. Tracy is the host of the virtual book club podcast, The Stacks. It includes interviews with authors and other well-known readers, too. Some authors from certain marginalized communities need blurbs in a way that some other authors don't. And so it becomes like sort of a thing of like, I want to support this, you know, indigenous queer author by blurbing them because there aren't that many indigenous queer authors whose books are being published, right? Then what happens is like the authors of color who are willing to write write blurbs end up writing a hundred blurbs. So that really is shitty for them and it's shitty for the authors. And it's just like, it's like kind of a shitty system. Writer Attica Locke thinks about this a lot too. She says she wouldn't be where she is now if two big names in crime fiction hadn't blurbed her first book. Now she's written five. You're constantly aware of owing something back, of, of wanting to uplift a new voice. And, and you know, there's just so many books out there. You're trying to help people, um, you know, stand out, find a way, you know. So I'm always aware, look, who can I pull up? Who can I, what new, what person in the new generation can I give a hand to? That's what makes them so complicated. They're all about helping people who are new to the industry, which, yes, is conceptually great. But practically, they also require a lot of effort. Here's Dan again. It's an overwhelming amount of work um, in an industry that is already probably short-staffed and overwhelmed with work. So, you know, that's where we get into the faulty system part of this conversation. It's like, I feel terrible writing to writers asking for unpaid labor. I think many of us feel that way. But in order for books to succeed, especially from debut writers, they need that. Our sales reps need that to drum up interest. Our publicity and marketing departments need it for the same reasons. So an unnecessary part of the process, for better or worse. It's obviously super messy, and everyone acknowledged that. But it seems to be what works, too. I think there's so many things about publishing today that is deeply flawed but necessary. And you have to set that kind of cynicism aside and um, just approach it from the idea of this is a really great book and I want to share it with you and hope for the best. So for now, for better or for worse, the blurb will live on. So I will continue to blurb. I'm in a non-blurbing phase right now, but but I have blurbed over the last you know couple of years, and I will continue to do it. Next week on Nerdat Undercover, the audiobook. How did a government program for the blind turn into today's multi-billion-dollar audiobook industry? Who are all the people behind the audiobooks you love? And how long does it take to record a 15-hour audiobook? Stay tuned. 
We would love to hear what you think about the blurb. Is it something you even care about? Do you look at it? Let us know in our Facebook group. You can go to facebook.com slash groups slash HQ to join the conversation. The show was produced by me and Anna Bauman, along with Sam Deer. Our executive producer is Brendan Banazak, and we will see you next week.